Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jason Wright Show's best Friday ever. This is the free-for-all. This is where I kind of diverge from the usual improve always and always, health and wellness, mindfulness, uh, all that good stuff that I'm usually talking about on the podcast. Today is just where it's kind of a free-for-all. And there's a lot going on in the world. Yeah, go figure. And I just read the story that um, I'm probably a little bit late on this. I knew that Tom Brady and Giselle were getting a divorce, which I think is absolutely tragic. And I do want to touch on that. But I did not realize that the divorce was always or was already final. And, you know, it's hard to everyone, whenever it's someone in the public space and just full disclaimer, and anyone that knows me knows this, I have the biggest Tom Brady man crush there is. I think the dude just pisses excellence every single day of the week, except for obviously in this particular area. But we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Now, I'm going to, I'm not going to go full uh, Bill Burr here and talk about, you know, not fully understanding what Giselle's like when no one's looking. At the same time, I'm not going to try to say that Tom Brady, because he's getting a divorce and he's decided to come out of retirement, focus one more year on his playing, which that's what we're seeing publicly, right? Is that Tom Brady and Giselle, they, they're the biggest rub between them had become the fact that she wanted him to be more present as a husband and father. And Tom Brady chose to, decide to play another year now selfishly this is so weird too because i don't even watch football games as a matter of fact the uh the most professional football in particular i'm certainly not going to watch the nfl i just could absolutely care less about what is happening in the national football league but the one game i will watch almost every year is if I if Tom Brady is playing and or I say the one game, the time I will watch is if the the Buccaneers are playing. And, and by the way, I could care less about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think it's because Tom Brady's only two years younger than me, and he still gives guys like me middle aged old farts a little bit of hope that you know, hey, look, we're not as old as we you know forty seven, which is what I am, isn't quite as old as what it once was. Because look, Tom Brady's only two years younger than me, and he's still going at it. And it's it's kind of like. I'm going to get into another kind of a living bridge that uh, that was was burned or torn down or I don't know that sounds terrible but anyway you'll see what I mean whenever I get to it. Tom Brady is kind of like a living bridge to a younger me and and all of us all of us dudes that are like kind of between the ages of forty and fifty. I think that's one of the things that even if you were not a New England Patriots fan, even if you could care less about the Buccaneers, even for somebody like me that could care less about the NFL, you watch Tom Brady for completely different reasons because he's kind of like this living bridge between guys like me who are middle-aged and our more youthful days. I mean, for crying out loud, the dude, I've watched him play pretty much my entire young adult into middle-aged life. And um, I think that's one of the reasons, I know at least for me, that's why I love Tom Brady so much. There's kind of a, he, he represents a nostalgia that's still alive from my younger days and he's still going. And so it's like, it's not like looking back and seeing a movie with, uh, with an actor that was popular when I was a kid, like Burt Reynolds and Smokey and the Bandit. And now Burt Reynolds, it has passed away. 
You know, it's not like that. It's like, no, not only is Tom Brady still alive, but he's still doing the thing that he was doing when I was in my 30s. And that's just awesome. So I hate to see what he's going through right now. But I, I will say this, you know, going back, I said that, you know, the the best Friday ever is not where I focus so much on improving always and always. But I will say this, that it looks like that one area, it just as a way to just completely understand the humanity of all of us. And this is, it's kind of why I developed that mantra to improve always and always. And I've actually said this and in, in, in this Tom Brady and Giselle kind of represent one of those more nebulous areas of self-improvement that I don't think get a lot of attention when we're talking about the idea of self-improvement and being the best version of ourselves. And it's this, I've often said that the muse for the Jason Wright Show, the Vitruvian Project, now the Vitruvian Letter, was the Vitruvian Man that was drawn by Leonardo da Vinci, right? Okay, so I'm, I'm reading Walter Isaacson's biography of da Vinci. And it's where I first learned the, the backstory on Vitruvian Man. And this was da Vinci's way to try to draw the perfectly proportioned man, and for that matter, human. And so when I first saw it, I thought to myself, well, that's kind of cool, but what does it mean to be the perfectly proportioned human? Not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, relationally. You know, what does that mean? What are the components of that? And if we could ever reach, now look, we can never reach perfection, but if we ever endeavor to reach perfect proportion to be the most perfectly well-balanced human being, what will we have to endeavor? And so that's whenever I just decided, well, you would have to improve always. You'd, you'd never stop. You'd, you'd always be looking for that little, like James Clear has made famous, that 1% improvement every single day, hoping for a compounded 37% year-over-year improvement, but not just in one area. And I've often said, if you're the Fortune 500 CEO crushing it, making millions of dollars a year, you're powerful, you're flying private, you're doing all these things, but your wife and kids don't even know you and can't stand you, you're not doing it right. By the same token, if you're kind of like that movie with Woody Harrelson where he was kind of the weird dude, I think it was called the um, the Glass Palace or Crystal Palace, I can't remember what it was, uh, but you're, you're home all the time with your family, your whole life, you're this eccentric person, you're at home all the time, but you're not properly providing for them, well, you're not quite doing it right. Or let's say that you're, you're making a lot of money, your kids love and adore you, but your health sucks. You drink too much, you smoke too much. You see what I'm saying? There's always these different areas. And granted, we don't want to get into a space where we can't even enjoy the present, the here and the now, because we're constantly obsessed with, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough in this area, I'm not good enough in this area. But I do think there's something to be said to be consciously aware that a well-balanced individual is the best way to be. It's this thing, this um, this this idea of homeostasis as the individual, which means imperfect and well-balanced. Because uh, otherwise, you you die. Something dies if you if you're if you focus all of your attention on one thing, then there is something that is not being tended to. That's just the nature of existence. And it appears that Tom Brady, who exudes excellence in, in in his endeavor to maintain such a high level of performance, maybe he neglected something else. Now, granted, I have no idea. He might, 
I always thought that, you know, just from, again, who knows? We don't know. We only know what the gatekeepers, the PR people, uh, the, the the message that gets crafted. It's kind of like the ancient Caesars. The only history we really know about them is that which they wrote themselves. And there's some reality to it, but it was very much coerced and shaped by, by the, 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 the Caesars of that time. Um, and so it's kind of the same way with celebrities that especially whenever you're the greatest uh, quarterback that's ever lived. But all I can say is I look at this with sadness uh, because I hate th- for all the greatness that Tom Brady has done. I hate to see that the single most important element of his life, which is his his marriage and his family, that um, that that part there's there was something askew. And so I was just um, and so anyway, when I I literally just this morning I read that 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 their divorce was already final. I don't know if he announced it on his podcast yesterday, maybe or the day before. Um, Again, I don't even listen to that podcast, but I, I read it, and so I thought, well, that, that's a shame. And so my encouragement to you, the Jason Wright Show audience, is, to, is, is this. Be vigilant. Be vigilant for every, in every area of your life. And if, you have, if you're someone that has listened to this show for any time at all, and whenever you see that slogan on my social media or I say it or whatever the case may be, this improve always and always just remember that if you're not improving in all ways, and, and there are so many, then that can be so many different categories, then you're either growing stagnant, you, it's never perfected. And by the way, I know that some people hear that, not this audience, because you guys are obviously, you're probably overachievers. You know, you try to address the audience that you want to hear from. You want to try to be that host, or at least I do. I try to create the podcast that I would want to listen to. So I want people to kick me in the ass every once in a while and say, hey, you can do better. Go forward. Go harder. But I know that's not very, uh, that's not in vogue these days. Instead, it's like, hey, if you're, you know, if you're not good at that, then embrace not being good. You know, the the modern, the modern, uh, it seems like the modern psyche is very different than what the, the Navy SEALs that say they you know they they take the the term embrace the suck meaning embrace the pain embrace the struggle embrace what what the the challenge instead it's just like it seems like the mantra for the modern human is embrace your suck embrace what you suck at and just accept your suck instead of imp- and, and instead of improving upon it and i think that's a shame because i think that there's such joy and not the ultimate end, not the ultimate improvement. I mean, to go from zero to one, yeah, that's one thing, and there's something to be celebrated. But if you look back over the course of your life, and you 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 take on this mantra that whatever this challenge is, I want to overcome it, and at a minimum, my goal is not the end. Again, it's the process. It's, it's the Nick Saban process. Then you will enjoy the journey, and you'll look back, and you'll enjoy the struggle. It's almost like once you once you've reached the top of Mount Everest, then that's it. And when you, I guarantee you, it's it's an it's a moment of elation, but it's but I guarantee you, I've never hiked Mount Everest, but I gotta believe it's like every other human endeavor. It's the moments leading up to the 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 conquer, the the grasping of the goal, the achievement of the goal. It's the moments leading up to it where the biggest dopamine rush hits. Afterwards, that's it. It's gone. So set up ways to create these elements of improvement and challenges and struggle for yourself that not only will make you better and keep you vigilant 
in a 360 fashion, but also embrace the struggle because the things that you struggle through in life, those are the things you'll look back on with, I think, great, uh, great joy. I really do. And so, frankly, I wish Tom and Giselle the best. And I'm going to say the same thing about them that I would say to any individual that came to me and said, Jason, my marriage has just ended. I would tell them this. Okay, it's in, this chapter of your marriage has died, but it doesn't have to be dead forever. That's the, that's the amazing thing about a marriage is that it can have a Lazarus effect. And for those of you who don't know who Lazarus is, he's the one who everyone said he was dead, and then Jesus comes and he, he awakes. It's one of the miracles whenever Lazarus came back to life. So that's that's where that comes from. There's a Lazarus effect that can happen in any relationship. I don't If it's with a, with a parent, let's say that there's something that the child or the, or the parent did that just completely ended that relationship 20 years ago. It can have a Lazarus effect. But you have to be improving as a human being to make, to come to a place where you can extend grace, forgiveness, forgiveness, whatever the case may be, and it can be revived. So my hope is that one day, for the sake of these children, for the sake of that that family, that Tom and Giselle will be able to realize, you know what? Let's let's pull this thing together. Let, let's 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 get the, and and hope that Tom Brady, if again not knowing what Giselle might be doing. I mean, she might be beating him with with uh, with uh, with toasters and and you know waking him up in the middle of the night with a 45 pointed to his head a la uh, Goodfellas with Karen uh, you know straddling Ray Liotta. I don't know. I don't think that's the case at all. But who knows? We don't know what happens behind the scenes. But either way, I hope that he will endeavor to pursue his marriage and his family one day the way he has those seven Super Bowl championships because the man, he knows once he puts his mind to something, it's obvious he's pretty much able to grab it. So that was something I wanted to talk about. All right, so I told you I wanted to tell you about something else that was kind of like this living bridge between two eras, if you will, of life. Had a... uh, Really crappy thing happened. Not to bring a Debbie Downer type thing to the to the show today, especially since it's the best Friday ever. But uh, when the girls were eight to nine years old, Santa Claus brought them two Basset Hound puppies, and one of them was Izzy. Now they were eight and nine. Rylan and Abby now are twenty one and twenty two. So they it was so Izzy. They're uh, the 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 last of the two puppies, uh, was still alive. She was getting really old and, uh, had to, had to, uh, have her put down. She received, um, so she, she contracted a really, really fast acting, um, type of cancer. And so I got to go spend her last moments with her. The girl's mom was in Florida. The girls were both, you know, Rylan's in Tuscaloosa, Abby's in Boulder. I was the only one here and I had not seen Izzy in a while. And I went out to the vet where she was, and I just got to hang out with her. And I got to tell you, this is one of the most sad things that I've ever in, endured. And I know, and I'm not even—I'm not a dog lover. Uh, I was not close to Izzy, but kind of like what I was talking about with uh, Tom Brady, kind of being a living bridge back to a younger time in my life. Izzy was kind of this um, bridge between the girls and a time of their lives when they believed in magic 
and the young women that they currently are. And now Izzy's gone. And there was something so sad about that. And, uh, it was, and so for all of you dog owners out there, I, I get it now more than I ever have. I, I never understood why people would become so attached to their pets or anything like that. But, um, I, and, and again, it wasn't that I was so close to Izzy. She was the sweetest, by the way, she was the sweetest, sweetest dog. I, and it's funny because, um, Santa had told me where she was, you know, Santa doesn't build, um, uh, puppies at the North pole, but he has these different places all over the world where he can kind of point the parents to, as to where they are to go pick them up and help him out with arranging the, uh, the delivery of, of the pets on Christmas morning. And so I was the one who went to rescue Izzy from her given location that year before Christmas. And so I was the first member of the Wright family that she ever saw and probably the one that she saw the least in between and the one she saw last before she, uh, before she left. And so it was just kind of a bizarre closing of this weird full circle. And so anyway, that was something that, that, uh, that happened. And so I guess I don't, there's really no point to that other than just to tell you kind of a sad story, but also to, to say that, it's a weird thing being at this mid point of life because you're 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 much older than you were in your twenties and your teens, obviously, but yet there's still these living bridges. I mean, I still have grandparents alive, you know. I still have uh, there like, again, as silly as it sounds, with pop culture, there are still act. You know, I, I think to myself that eventually Jack Nicholson is going to die, and he's in his eighties, and it's going to be like, oh. It's like, I, it's, it's weird. This is a really weird aging process. So for those of you middle-agers out there that you still have pets alive that were alive when your children would wake up and be a little more ecstatic on Christmas morning than they currently are now because they're much older, I get it. You know, savor those moments. Savor the time with them because it goes by in the blink of an eye. <laughs> Next, okay, gosh, I, it must be like Man Crush Friday or something because another one that my, my wife and children make fun of me about is my love of Ryan Reynolds. I think Ryan Reynolds is awesome. And, and again, I don't even watch, I haven't watched one of his new movies. I think the last Ryan Reynolds movie that I watched at length, let me think about this for just a second, I think it was The Proposal, and that movie's got to be close to 20 years old. And it's the one I always go back to. It's Probably, I guess it's my favorite Ryan Reynolds movie. Like, I'm, I didn't really, in, I, I'd never watched Van Wilder. Uh, I didn't watch, what was it? Was he in Waiting, I think? Uh, some of those movies like that, I never watched them. Uh, mine, I just, I like rom-com Ryan. I never even watched Deadpool, which my brother told me is hilarious. And everybody that talks about it, they love Deadpool. And I, I do need to see that. I'm just not into the superhero comic book type stuff. It's just not my genre. But considering it's Ryan Reynolds and it's Ryan Reynolds' sense of humor, which I think is amazing, um, I'm, I'm weird this way. It's kind of the same thing with Tom Brady. I don't really even care about the fact that he plays football. It's, it's what he's doing something exceptional, and I get to and I told you he's kind of like this bridge between myself and my younger self. And with Ryan Reynolds, it's like I just think he's just an amazing business guy, good personality, funny. 
uh, just I don't even like him for the thing he's known for <laughs> necessarily, which is as an actor because I don't watch any of his new movies. But there's a great article I wanted to go through that I wish more people would take cues from Ryan Reynolds, celebrities in particular. If you have never watched some of the the uh, little social media hits that he does with Hugh Jackman for um, Laughing Man Coffee, which is Hugh Jackman's um, coffee company, and then Aviation Gin, that's kind of what they usually do is to promote these two brands. But these two guys seem like genuinely kind, funny, awesome human beings. And I just came across this article by Christian Toto. He's a uh, movie critic and, uh, and, and, and journalist. And he writes this article that says, uh, No one markets a movie better. Why Ryan Reynolds is the movie star we need. The movie star era is no more. And there are plenty of reasons why. Now, right there, that first sentence is absolutely true. I was talking to someone this week, and I may mention that um, that essentially, if you had to name the top five A-list celebrities right now, who would it be? Now, Grant, now we've still got some holdovers from the glory days of the movies. I mean, but let's face it: Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. These guys, they are the last generation. Angelina Jolie, Jennifer Aniston maybe. Um, I guess, um, oh my gosh, how am I drawing a blank on um, the the biggest? Well, Meryl Streep is still at, Glenn Close, is, she's still doing some things. But they're, they're basically, they're, that's, that's it. There are no just, oh my gosh, because here's the deal. We live in an era where... Everyone is a celebrity, right? It, the movie stars used to kind of be a category all by Gwyneth Paltrow. That's who I was trying to think of a minute ago. Gwyneth Paltrow, my gosh. The, you know, there are no Gwyneth Paltrows out there. And, and I guess you could say Anne Hathaway. But there's just, you know, there's something with all the streaming services and everything. The celebrities and the superstars that we saw as as kids and as as young adults growing up, that's gone. It just it's just not that deal. If I, if I it's not that big of a deal. I, all the new there are no I don't see. I mean, I guess if you're going to say that Harry Styles is going to be the next, say I guess multi talented guy like Justin Timberlake coming up, I'm sorry, I just don't see it. But anyway, we see stars across the pop culture landscape from late-night shows to social media platforms. It's no longer special to hear from a Ben Affleck or a Viola Davis. We've heard their views many times before on our laptops, smartphones, and streaming platforms. Plus, too many stars actively insult audiences and their way of life. Celebrities rail against Trump voters, for example, or smear those who believe abortion is murder. Some stars can't get through a press junket without sharing divisive thoughts on race, religion, or most of all, politics. Need an example? George Clooney promoted Ticket to Paradise by suggesting to HBO Max host Chris Wallace that Republicans are a threat to democracy. And then there's Ryan Reynolds. The 46-year-old Deadpool star offers a different approach to stardom. He's often engaging, not divisive on social media. He entertains sick children with his hospital visits and generous to a fault given his financial largesse. Reynolds, along with his wife, actress Blake Lively, opened their considerable coffers to for Water First Education and Training Incorporated, a group that provides clean water to struggling communities, and they similarly wrote a large check to displaced Ukrainian refugees. 
His on and off screen image has remained remarkably consistent over time. He's the wisecracking hero in the Deadpool films and the tweaked and and he tweaked that comic persona for the rare big screen comedy that actually made us howl 2021's Free Guy, which I guess I need to see that because again, I'm not into the action kind of comic type comic book type movies, but everybody says that Free Guy is pretty good. So maybe I need to check that out. Okay, back to the article. In fact, at a time when stars are desperate to escape their image, think Jim Carrey ditching comedy for more dramatic roles, Reynolds holds tight to his comic persona. Even his heroic character in The Adam Project saved some screen time for funny banter in the grand Ryan Reynolds tradition. The Canadian actor is liberal, no doubt. He cheered on progressive Supreme Court Justice Ruth Boehner, uh, Ruth Bader and shared the usual skies falling fears over President Donald Trump. He doesn't shove those views in our faces, though. He shares them now and then, but he's far more engaged in his dual duties. Big-time movie actor and PR guru. And this is the thing that I think Ryan Reynolds seems to have mastered more than any other celebrity I know. Now, all these guys, my gosh. I mean, Jack Nicholson probably is invested in real estate developments we'll never know about, right? They probably have, but it's probably because he has a business manager that's handling his family office, which is basically his portfolio of wealth, to try to diversify it. Ryan Reynolds seems to be a hands-on guy that has taken note of the fact that, you know what, I have a megaphone that can, instead of being used to alienate my audience, half of my audience, instead, I can use my favorability in the in the public sphere to create a bigger market for myself beyond acting, create wealth, and then with that wealth, do really good things with it and not make it so much about me. Because let's face it, do any, and I, I, guess, I guess there's some people that do this. I guess Will Ferrell was doing some uh, some campaigning in Texas for, uh, for Beto O'Rourke. And I thought to myself, are there people out there, really, that go or that, that say, always, I hate to say that go, I always do that, that say to themselves, huh, I wasn't sure who I was going to vote for, Greg Abbott or Beto O'Rourke, but if Buddy the Elf is voting for Beto O'Rourke, then I'm in. That's me. If Frank the Tank is going with Beto, then sign me up. I'm in. If Chaz, if Freaking Chaz, he's a pioneer and he's a decent man and he knows how to pick up chicks at funerals and weddings and he created the rule book for wedding crashers. If Chaz is going in for Beto O'Rourke, sign me up. I'm down, that's my guy. It's just like, is that really? See, I'm not going to, I can't fathom. And it goes on the other side. If you were, you know, it didn't take Clint Eastwood or John Voigt or Gary Sinise. If those guys, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't vote for a Republican because one of those guys told me to. I, and so it's like, why would you, if you're in their world, purposely just demean and piss off one side or the other instead of just saying, hey, this is who, this is kind of where I stand. You, you know I'm a liberal or you know I'm a conservative, but I also respect you, my audience, that may not agree with me. So here, buy some gin. You know, and buy a lot of it, and I'm going to take a portion of it. I'm going to do some good things that helps both. I'm going to help kids that don't even know the difference between a conservative or Republican. And that seems to be kind of what Ryan Reynolds does. All right, so uh, let's go back to this. The latter is the most intriguing element. While some stars promote their films with 
a modicum of success, Reynolds takes it to the next level. The latest greatest example, he broke the news that Hugh Jackman was coming out of superhero retirement to play Wolverine once more. Quote, Hard keeping my mouth sewn shut about this one, Reynolds cracked on Twitter. An Easter egg for fans of this previous appearance as Deadpool in X-Men Origins Wolverine. The attached promotional video featured Reynolds playing himself, wondering how to bring an old MCU favorite into the Deadpool saga. We watched the actor pour liquor into the coffee mug, stroll the woods, and stare at a typewriter waiting for creative inspiration. I have nothing completely empty here. He cracks second before uh, he cracks seconds before he bluntly asked Jackman to join the project. Sure, Ryan. Cue Whitney Houston's romantic ballad, I Will Always Love You, and scene. The video went viral for all the right reasons, snagging 15 million views on YouTube alone. Suddenly, movie fans couldn't wait to see Reynolds and Jackman together again for Deadpool 3. That's genius-level marketing, and few stars do it quite like Reynolds. And it's hardly his first time embracing that approach. He frequently promotes his movies with a combination of humor and heart, getting his hands dirty with the good, clean marketing fun. He cut several Deadpool-themed shorts to promote the film and the franchise in general, including one cursing out Saturday Night Live creator, Lauren Michaels, over the star's possible appearance on the show. Another feature, David Beckham, who Deadpool roasts in the 2016 smash, clashing with Reynolds in character to promote the first sequel. The actor's Maximum Effort Marketing Company, which is co-founded now, which he co-founded, now produces the shorts, and his personal touch is all over the finished product. Yes, the company name comes from a quip uttered in the 2016 Deadpool Deadpool feature. The actor explored his love of marketing with Forbes earlier this year and how his superhero franchise gave him a crash course on the subject. Deadpool taught me that necessity is the mother of invention. Deadpool, the franchise, never had the kind of budgets and and finances to work with that some of the larger comic book uh, properties did. Two of the greatest adversaries, uh, adversaries to creativity is too much time and too much money. I learned the value of character over spectacle through Deadpool. Need one more example of Ryan Reynolds' unmovie star behavior? His 2016 Deadpool co-star T.J. Miller felt Reynolds didn't like him while shooting their scenes together in the 2018 film. That brief confection, excuse me, that brief confession captured on the Adam Carolla Show podcast revealed an onset disagreement that felt ugly to Miller. The, rel- the revelation quickly made the rounds via social media. Soon enough, Reynolds caught wind of Miller's complaint. Some stars might have ignored the issue. Others may have waged a war on Miller and comedian, a comedian with a checkered off-screen past. Or Reynolds could have played the victim or just trash Miller, a comedian with a checkered personal past. Instead, Reynolds apparently reached out to Miller directly, and the two settled any old differences between them. It was really cool. He emailed me the the next day. It was a misunderstanding, so I emailed him back, and now it's like, fine. Reynolds didn't make a public scene of the reconciliation. He handled it behind the scenes like a gentleman. Reynolds has little in common with many modern celebrities, and thank goodness for that. Amen, amen, amen. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like Ryan Reynolds so freaking much. He exemplifies what, and I'll tell you somebody else that I've become, for the same reasons, I never thought I would be able to say to you, you know what, 
I'm kind of digging Bill Maher, and I know this is not uncommon, but a lot of people are coming around to Bill Maher on both sides because they're like, man, he's the only one that will sit down. Like I, I watched a, a clip of an interview with him and Kid Rock, and I love Kid Rock. I think that uh, I think that Bob Ritchie is one of the single most talented human beings on planet Earth. The dude can can crush country music, blues, hip hop. He does it all. And while he leans right in his uh, politics, and Mar leans is is to the left, the two of them sit down in on Bill Maher's podcast, and they hash it out, and they talk about it. And Bill Maher seems to be the only prominent member of the left that is saying, we may disagree with each other, but we got to talk. we got to come together. Look at the transformation of Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan was a guy that was, he had he was a political uh, neophyte at best, had no concept of politics, interviewed Bernie Sanders on his podcast, said he would vote for Bernie Sanders, and then as time went on, he sat and he talked to both sides, which, by the way, is the reason why Joe Rogan's show is the most popular podcast on planet Earth, I believe, is because he will speak to anyone. He is someone who sits down wanting to learn. And he may call, and, and look, he, he will call out any right or left as BS, that which he doesn't know. He's like, no, wait a minute, don't, don't, don't give me that. You know, don't give me your conservative talking points, you jackass. Don't give me that left-wing stuff. Don't talk to me. Be honest with me. And I think it's why it's the most po- uh, popular podcast on earth. And, and so I just, I wanted to talk about Ryan Reynolds because one, I got to admit, I really like Ryan Reynolds. I think he's just really cool as a human being, as a business person. And now I was glad to see that article that recognized the fact that while his politics may be different than a lot of other people's, he does that's not who he makes himself. And I hope that we will finally get back to a point where left and right can sit down and talk about their differences and and still remain friends and realize, hey, there's there's more to life than all of this. So well done, Ryan Reynolds. It's why he keeps staying at the top of the heap. Now, here is something else that has come to my attention. So apparently, uh, and I know again, this is going to be kind of uh, kind of Captain Obvious here. Let me find it. I was reading some articles. I was wanting to find out what was going on over in the Twitterverse now that uh, our uh, the world's wealthiest man has taken over. And it appears that Elon Musk is causing quite a stir. And one of the things that I found really bizarre was this, that I'm sure you all saw the, the letter, the demand letter from employees of Twitter. And, you know, I'm a father of two millennials. And again, I'm not here to bash millennials. I don't do that. I think that there are some incredibly talented millennials and a lot of the stuff that, um, the millennials, generally speaking, are after, which is kind of a lot of times is purpose. They are more purpose-driven than, say, wealth-driven. All those things, that, look, there's good and bad to every generation. But having daughters that are both millennials, I, I pay a little more attention. Uh, you know, I go like three levels down to see kind of what they're thinking and everything. And I think that when Elon Musk took over Twitter and the millennials there wrote him a demand not a hey welcome to twitter we're here to figure out how we can make this work how we can use our talents to promote this company and make it a better place and 
whatever. Show any modicum of humility. Instead, they looked at the wealthiest man in the world that was now their new employer and said, okay, this is what we demand of you. Well, here's this article that came out yesterday. Elon Musk sends email to Twitter staff notifying them of mass layoffs. New Twitter CEO Elon Musk informed employees Thursday evening to not come into the office tomorrow as the company was laying off substantial portion of its workforce. The news comes after Bloomberg News reported earlier this week that Musk was cutting 3,700 of the company's 7,500 employees on Friday. Musk is also reportedly canceling a work-from-anywhere policy that is going to force employees to come into the office to work. In an effort to place Twitter on a healthy path, we will go through the difficult process of reducing our global workforce on Friday, an email from the company sent to all employees stated. We recognize that this will impact a number of individuals who have made valuable contributions to Twitter, but this action is unfortunately necessary to ensure the company's success moving forward. Given the nature of our distributed workforce and our desire to inform impacted individuals as quickly as possible, communications for this process will take place via email, the message said. Okay, so here's the point. I um, I think I either wrote an article in the Vitruvian Letter or maybe I did one of these Best Friday Evers about the fact that eventually reality has a way of punching you right square in the freaking face. It just, it, no matter how hard we try, you know, uh, I guess it was, unless you're Steve, now there are some, uh, what was it, the reality distortion field that, um, that Steve Jobs so famously had where he essentially would try, and in his mind he believed he could make reality bend to his will. Now, that's Steve Jobs, and that, that sort of individual comes along rarely. But here's the thing. what Even when it came to the reality distortion field that Steve Jobs talked about or that people attributed to him, it really was not a lack of reality at all. What would happen is, in that massively creative brain that was Steve Jobs, he would match that up with something that reality, instead of being at polar opposites, the magnets and the steel would come together and attract in a powerful, powerful way. So essentially, his reality distortion field, whenever it came up against reality, he didn't change reality. What happened was there was a there was a there was basically a two-step between what Steve Jobs wanted and what what reality really needed that market that you know he he would famously said we don't rely on focus groups we tell people what they need he had a massive ability to see a market and a desire for something that people didn't even know they had you know look at the iPod no one before Steve Jobs really realized that they would want to carry every single song ever written ever listened to in the palm of their hand, and on their phone. And by the way, they would also want a really incredible camera on their phone, and they wanted their banking on their phone. That was something we didn't think about because it didn't exist in reality. Th- those abilities, those were like seen as impossible. But what Steve Jobs had the most amazing way of doing is taking things that were not reality, that didn't exist yet, put it through the reality distortion field, essentially, and boom, that need that was there, that we mortals didn't even realize Steve Jobs said, oh, but if I can make this work, watch it happen. Well, 
that's how it can work in that area. But generally, reality is always going to win. It's going to punch you in the face. And so when a billionaire buys your company and for the first time ever, well, I don't think that Twitter, if Twitter has ever turned a profit, it has been a long time. So whenever he decides to come along and says, hey, this isn't just some vanity exercise for me, which I know a lot of people think it is, um, he is going to try to actually turn the thing into a money-making proposition. And the reality of that is that we're not, he's not going to listen to a bunch of sniveling millennials telling him their demands, making demands of him. It just, that, that, that doesn't work. Reality does not work that way. So I think this is going to be a really interesting time at Twitter. I don't, I don't use Twitter. I don't care about Twitter. It's not my thing. I mean, I have a Twitter account. I barely look at it. Um, I do think it's good for free speech that someone coming along, like just some of the tweets that I just, I catch wind of that you hear big, you know, much ado being made of. It's kind of weird because, uh, my friends on the left, you, and my friends on the right are saying that my friends on the right are happy saying, wow, you know, some things are finally being responded to and not being taken down on from, and for, and the, the most famous kind of, interrogation on this point was on Joe Rogan's show whenever Tim Poole joined him and spoke to Jack Dorsey and the the lady, I can't call her name right now, that was the head of basically policy uh, at, at Twitter. She, you know, and she was trying, Tim Poole was taking, and the whole, whole reason why Tim Poole was on the show, on Joe Rogan's show, is because he had made several really uh, poignant uh, comments about how only one side was being censored. And by the way, Tim Pool is not a person of the right. That's the thing that's weird that's going on right now. It's so bizarre. You're seeing so many people that before, I would say, you know, within the last five years, you would consider them some of the most left-leaning individuals ever. They, they, they were prominent left-wing people that you didn't, and now they're coming around and they're having to make arguments that sound like right-wing arguments. This was really a bizarre time. But Tim Pool had made so many comments about this um, unfair treatment or biased treatment at Twitter with regard to censoring and deplatforming people that Joe Rogan's like, hey, come on the show and let's talk about this. And I think they came on, they, Tim Pool came on and talked to Rogan, and then they had a follow-up show where Dorsey and this executive came on, and it was just kind of like it, you you couldn't watch it with a with any modicum of of like thinking that that Dorsey and his team were being genuine. It was like, wow, this is ridiculous. And so now it's just an open space for conversation. And so it's it I, I you know again because so many people look to Twitter as the towns, as the digital town square, I guess is what they call it now, uh, because people don't just, you know, we don't gather in communities, we don't gather in church like we used to, we don't gather in Sunday school, we don't have potluck dinners, and I know all those crazy notions of actual face-to-face interaction are like so passe, uh, so we rely on freaking Twitter and talking through our phones, and so I'm hoping that uh, in this space, there will at least be a, an element of just not one side 
being able to completely run rush shot over the other. And I, and, um, I think that, um, Elon Musk is going to do that. And also I hope that it brings a, a sanity back to the workforce where I, for example, I love Michael J. Fox. So please don't take this as I'm slamming Michael J. Fox. I think my, I mean, that guy to me, whenever I think of my childhood and movies, I think of back to the future. And it, I, I, I look at it with great nostalgia. And I'm telling you, everything that my, I mean, I was a Family Ties, um, I was a Family Ties fan back whenever he was Alex P. Keaton. I'm a fan of Secret of My Success. I'm a fan of Doc Hollywood. I, I mean, I, I didn't like Teen Wolf. I don't think, I think, I don't think anybody liked Teen Wolf. But I love Michael J. Fox. I think he was, he is uh, just an incredible human being and was an excellent actor. And I read a, uh, there was a, a little thing he put on, uh, I guess it was on TikTok or maybe it was Instagram. I think it was TikTok. I don't know, maybe both. Where he said that his daughter, who is a millennial, I think she's probably about my girl's age. And he said, you know, dad, this is him quoting his daughter. He said, you know, my, my generation doesn't tear things down. We build things. And... Oh man, that sounds great, but I don't think that really applies to the millennial generation. I mean, call me crazy, but I don't think so. I do see a lot of millennials tearing a lot of stuff down, a lot of traditions, institutions. Um, I, I see them tearing a lot, tearing at the fabric of a lot of elements of society. But if you were to ask me, okay, what has the millennial generation built? I couldn't tell you. There's probably some cool apps that they've built. Uh, but these millennials that were making demands to Elon Musk have not built a rocket. They have not built uh, a company like PayPal that has completely changed the way we exchange currency uh, on, online. They have not created an electric vehicle that very well may help us to course correct in the in the in the in, 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 with the situation in um, climate change or however you want to look at it. Uh, I don't think they built anything like that. Yet this generation is wagging their finger at this individual that has built these amazing things. And saying, you better do this. I think that's what's frustrating a lot of people about the millennial generation. And again, generally speaking, not this does not apply to all of them. Is that they are so quick to wag their finger and point to the builders, the constructors. I mean, they came after, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a millennial herself, came against Jeff Bezos and was basically was essentially uh, saying that he needed to turn Amazon into an employee cooperative, um, a la more of a socialist-type uh, arrangement. And I, I'm not even here to argue whether that's a good or a bad idea. That's not the point. I, I generally don't speak politics on the Jason Wright Show. And I do think there's a certain amount of brazen audacity and arrogance for someone who has 
never, and I'm not just specifically talking to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in this, this, in this particular moment, but just anyone, anyone in general. I think I, as someone who's of Elon Musk's generation, for me to wag my finger at him and make demands of him were he my employer, or to or Jeff Bezos to wag my finger and tell him how he should arrange Amazon, I think would be arrogant, wrongheaded, and frankly quite despicable. Uh, I and so this this these people and this generation is coming up just kind of just looking having the ability having the luxury of just looking at, across the landscape of time and 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 society and being able to wag their finger and go yeah no like they they, they look at the world especially a lot of people around the world are looking at Western society right now, and it's almost like they, they've walked into a room and they're just arranging furniture. They look at the entire freaking world. They have no earthly idea why the furniture is arranged the way it is. And they walk in and they go, Ugh, this is not feng shui. No, 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 no. I'm going to need you to move that company over there. I'm going to need this one to have this amount of employees. Oh, that that company, that the way that's structured? No, 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 no. I don't like that. That's kind of what we're going through right now. We're just watching these people that just open the door to Western civilization and start trying to rearrange the furniture, not stopping to listen to the, the designers that have left their notes from hundreds and hundreds of years to say, whoa, 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 time out, time out. This is why this, it's the Chesterton Wall. It's, it's coming up to a wall in the middle of nowhere, and one person says, what the hell is this wall doing here? We don't need this wall. You get this thing out of the way. And the other one says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Shouldn't we find out first why the wall was built? There's a lot of people, it seems like right now, that aren't stopping to just go, whoa, wait a minute. Let's not make a knee-jerk reaction. Let's try to figure out why this is what it is and why, why has it lasted for so long? Because I think it's very arrogant to all of a sudden think that you just walked into the room over the last 20 or so years and took a look and went, we need to change all this. That's very arrogant. It's very scary. And by the same token, there needs to be more people. It, It shouldn't take, and this is what really, frankly, is sad and frustrating and scary. It shouldn't take the world's richest man to be able to break through the noise and say, hey, no. Your demands are not going to be heard because they're unreasonable. Because here's the thing, as I, myself, and my wife, as small business owners, and many, many, many other small business owners, many, many other mid-level employees just living their lives, trying to figure out how to feed their families, keep the lights on, put a roof over the head, We don't have that megaphone as one individual. But if all of us will collectively get together and in a kind, in a Ryan Reynolds-type fashion, 
be able to infuse a little bit of humor different than harsh, mean sarcasm. Interject a little humor. Befriend those who don't think the way we do. Act like Bill Maher and go, I, God, who would ever thought that I would say act like Bill Maher? Whew. But at least think in this realm like Bill Maher. I'm willing to talk to someone I disagree with, and I'm going to love on them, and I'm going to let them know where I'm coming from, and just evaluate. Don't just walk into the room saying, ugh, but walk into the room and go, hmm, I wonder why the kitchen is at that end of the house. I wonder why the couch is there. Why is this wall here? And uh, I think that would make things a little bit better. So uh, that was that's that's been the most fascinating. And I don't say any of it with glee. You're like, oh yeah, the you know the the millennials are you know getting it now. No, I just I think that there needs to be a great deal of humility amongst all of us. And as we move into more of a worship of self, I've mentioned this before on the podcast that we we're living in a time of worshiping self over all else. And when that come when that becomes the case, then um, if um, <laughs> if there is no God, then everything's a God, and that's a scary, scary thing. And so, if you are if if we are nothing more in America than three hundred thirty million little individual gods, then man, we're going to be doing a lot of battle for a long time. Instead, it's best to just kind of be humble ourselves. That's what I think. So anyway, best to Tom and Giselle. We'll see what happens at Twitter. And um, I hope that you all have an incredible Friday. If you have not had a chance to listen to my interview that I that I aired this week with Matt Caberline, PhD, researcher, a biologist at the University of Washington, uh, one of the leading experts on aging and health span. There's a difference between lifespan and health span. He is focusing on how do we help people live healthier longer. It's a fantastic interview. Also, want to remind you to go out to eatpluck.com and order some of these organic, I mean, excuse me, these organ meat seasonings. Five, five different organs in each blend. So good. The the zesty garlic I put on just about everything I eat now. If I don't, I just, I'm not going to like it as much. I put it on boiled eggs. I put it on scrambled eggs. I put it on steak. I put it on tacos. It is so good. And if you will use the promo code IMPROVE, you're going to get 15% off. So check out eatpluck.com. And if you want to learn more about the founder, the story of the company, then listen to my conversation with James Barry that I had, a great entrepreneur. We discuss his entrepreneur's journey and the company that he's built. It's fantastic. And so that's all I've got today. I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, weekend. And also, last thing, don't forget to subscribe to the Vitruvian Letter. It's chock full of information of all the different things that I'm learning, that I'm processing, that I'm implementing and executing on to try to do what I talked about at the very front of this podcast, which is to improve always in all ways. Thanks. Thanks.